Take your copy of God's Word this morning, and let's focus again in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, picking up where we left off last week in verse 22. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, through the end of the chapter. There's a famous author, best-selling author, by the name of Michael Paterniti, whose family on his father's side is from Italy, and very often he'll go back to visit them. Now, Mr. Paterniti says that for years he would go back to that village, and there was an elderly woman whom he would see every single day walking up this long, steep hill to visit the cemetery that was on top. Now, at first, he just assumed that she was visiting a loved one who had passed away, maybe a husband, maybe a child. But then he eventually found out the real reason why she made that trek day after day. It turns out, he says, that her arch enemy died and was buried in that cemetery. And this elderly woman, every day, rain or shine, walked up that hill with that walking cane in her hands, I kid you not, so that she could spit on that grave one more time. (laughs) Now, is it just me, or is there a lot of bitterness in the world today? Have you noticed? Bitter people are not hard to find. They're everywhere. The spouse who was abandoned, the child who was abused, the employee who was fired, the person who was simply wronged. I'll be honest, I've met many pastors who became bitter after many years in the ministry and all of the difficulties that that can bring, everyone will arrive at this place. Someone, somewhere, will do something. Something will happen in your life, something that you'll have to go through that if you're not careful would cause you to become bitter. Maybe some of you, that's where you are right now. And what you really need this morning is for God to turn the bitterness in your heart into a blessing. I'm here today to tell you that God can do it. He can take the most bitter thing that has happened in your life and turn it into a blessing. It may not happen overnight, and you may not even see it in this life, but He can do it. He can take what is bitter and make it sweet. Well, in our passage this morning, we're going to see an example of God doing exactly that. Only days before, God had performed one of the greatest miracles in all of the Bible. The Red Sea parted. Israel crossed over on dry land. Pharaoh's army followed them. Pharaoh's army was drowned. God's people were delivered. At the beginning of chapter 15, which we looked at last week, We read about the song of Moses. The people began to sing and praise the Lord. There was singing. There was dancing. It was a holy celebration. And then something happened. 
And that something that happened is called life. Life happened. And the people of Israel experienced their first crisis on the other side. They needed water, and the only water they could find was bitter. It was undrinkable. Yes, Israel had been saved from Pharaoh's army. Praise the Lord. But now they're thirsty. Now they need water. And now they are desperate. So in these verses, God not only transforms the water, turning the bitter into what is sweet, but then, and here is the important part for us this morning, after doing that, God uses this miracle in order to teach Israel a lesson, and he uses that miracle as an example of what he wants to do in our lives. God uses this experience as a picture of what God can do to the bitterness that is in us. So if you're struggling with bitterness or if you're tempted to be bitter towards another person, towards God, just about life, there's some things I want you to remember in our passage this morning. I want you to remember that there's a plan when God leads you. There's a plan when God leads you. Look at verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Verse 22 is kind of like a new chapter in the life of Israel. One commentator called it Wilderness University. Israel did not take one step out of Egypt and immediately find themselves in the promised land. And likewise, neither do we take one step out of sin and immediately find ourselves in heaven. Israel had to pass through the wilderness. We have to pass through this life. Uh, this journey of faith that we are on is our wilderness, and it's all part of God's plan in which he is showing us how to follow him and how to love him. The Bible says Israel left the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness called Shur. And it's interesting because that Hebrew word means a wall. And that's kind of appropriate because it's kind of like Israel just ran into a wall. For three days they searched for water and didn't find any. And I'm sure they brought some water with them when they left. But we also know that a gallon of water weighs a little more than eight pounds you add that up, whatever water they would have brought with them has run out. We know that a person can only survive about three days without water, so time is short. Every now and then, a hurricane will come and visit us here in South Florida, praying we get a pass this year. But you know what happens every time there's a big one on the way. What does everybody do? They go and they buy up all the bottled water, just in case. And what happens when the bottled water runs out? People get feisty, don't they? People begin to fuss and fight. People will fight in the aisles of the stores. I've seen it. You've probably seen it. People go crazy about water even when it has not yet run out. I tell you that because imagine two or three million people and the water has run out this is not a potential emergency. This is an emergency. Look at verse 23. 
Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. After looking and looking and looking for water, finally they see some pond, some lake, some body of water, and they probably got very excited. They probably said, praise the Lord. They run to the water, they scoop it up, and immediately they discover that the water was bitter. They could not drink it. And so they gave it this name, Mara, which literally means bitterness. Now, we think we may know where this place is. There's a body of water just like this, about three days in the wilderness on the other side of the Red Sea, where even to this day, the water is bitter. Well, this was a crisis situation. And I want you to remember something. They were not in that situation because they had done something wrong. They were actually in that situation because they had done something right. Now, what had they done? What they had done was follow Moses and follow God into the wilderness. Now, it's been a while since we looked at this, so let me just share with you, let me remind you exactly how it is that Israel wound up at Marah. Remember back in chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 21? And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Let me ask you, who led them to Mara? God did. God brought them there. In fact, all they had to do was look up and see the pillar of cloud and see the fire to be reminded that God was the one who brought them to Mara. And does it not stand to reason that if God brought him there, he would then take care of them there. You've heard the old saying, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not keep you. They should have known that the same God who parted the waters of the Red Sea could also provide waters for them in the wilderness. You know, sometimes in life, the waters we drink, the proverbial waters we drink, are waters from the wells which we ourselves have dug. I'm talking about the, the bitter waters of sin and rebellion, but that's not what we have here. What we have here is the people of God at Marah because God led them there. And you don't have to do anything wrong to find yourself at a place of bitterness. In fact, you can do everything right and still arrive at your own Marah. You remember what Peter said, 1 Peter 4.12? He said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it's odd if this happens. Don't think that God is somehow missing in action because you had to go through some horrible trial in your life because that's not the case. God has a plan. Paul said in Acts 14, we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Notice he didn't say we will go through some tribulations. He said we will go through many. And he didn't say we might go through them. He said we must go through them. Jesus said in John 16, he said, in the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. Even when you have trouble, God has a plan. And so when the experiences of life, whatever they may be, would make you bitter, remember, remember, there's a plan when God leads you Something else I want you to see in this story that we need to remember, not only is there a plan when God leads you, but there's a purpose when God tests you. There's a purpose when God tests you. So how did the people of Israel respond to this crisis? Well, let's find out. Verse 24. And the people called upon the Lord. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. My mistake, my bad. That's not what it says. It says, and the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? I'll talk more about this later on because this isn't the first time and it's not going to be the last time that Israel complains against Moses. And by the way, let me remind you, the people complained about Moses. You get to the Gospels. The people complained about Jesus. If they complained about Moses and they complained about Jesus, get ready, people are going to complain about you. There will always be critics. Next Sunday, Lord willing, in chapter 16, Moses says to the people, hey, you're not complaining against me. He said, you're actually complaining against the Lord. When we complain about our circumstances, and isn't it easy to fall into that? When we complain about our circumstances, do you realize what we're really doing? We're complaining against the God who led us into those circumstances. That's what we're doing. Three days before, they were praising the Lord. Now they're complaining against the Lord. See how fast that happens? And by the way, a little parenthesis, a little side note here. Just because someone has a great experience with God does not mean, does not guarantee that they are going to be faithful. You may have some great mountaintop experience with God and you're so excited, you're on a spiritual high, that does not guarantee that you're going to be faithful. And if you're not careful, you can put your confidence in your flesh and forget just how easy it is to fall. Well, there is a reason, there's a purpose for God leading Israel to this place. We know that because it tells us at the very end of verse 25 notice this and there he tested them what was god doing god was testing israel the purpose of a test is to reveal what you know to reveal where you are in some area of development maybe you go to school and you take a class and you think you know more than you really do no well, there's this thing called a test that comes along, and you see the result of that test. You see your grade, and all of a sudden you discover you don't know as much as you, you think you did. You have some learning to do. I'm reminded of a young man who was in college, and he was complaining to his professor about the grade that he got on an exam, and he said, I don't think I deserve a zero on that test. And the professor said, well, I don't either, but that's the lowest grade I could give you. <laughs> you know, sometimes God tests us, and we don't do so well. But here's what we need to remember. Every crisis, every 
trial, every hardship, every difficulty is a test. God is testing your strength. He's testing your character. But most of all, he's testing your faith. James 1.3 says that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What is it that's being tested? What is it that upon being tested produces perseverance? It's the testing of your faith. God is testing your faith, whether you really believe God and his word. You see, in Exodus chapter 15, their real problem was not drought. Their real problem was doubt. Their real problem was not a lack of water. Their real problem was a lack of faith. I've heard that one of the most dangerous jobs that a person can accept is that of a test pilot. You know, a test pilot's job is to take uh, a new plane and to fly it in a very specific way to make sure that it's going to be able to fly well in any number of difficult circumstances, and therefore he will intentionally fly into turbulence or against great winds or into some storm. And I think about that. That's exactly what God does sometimes in our lives. He does that because, as the old saying goes, the faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Until your faith is tested, you really don't know how strong your faith really is. Well, the people of Israel responded to this test by complaining. But let's go back to verse 25. Let's see how they should have responded. So he, meaning Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Notice Moses did not just pray. The Bible says he cried out to the Lord. This isn't just prayer. This is desperate prayer. This is the kind of praying that God was waiting for. And it was not until Moses prayed uh, that God uh, began to show him the solution. By the way, I want you to, to notice something in this verse. The prayer of one man in verse 25 accomplished more than the complaints of two million people in verse 24. Did you notice that? One man's prayer did more than millions complaining. In fact, if the people had prayed on day one, there might not have been an emergency on day three. Moses prayed. God showed him a tree. It was there. He just didn't see it. God showed him this tree. He told him what to do. He cast it into the water, and when he did, the Bible says that the water became sweet. Now, just like when we were looking at the ten plagues of Egypt, don't look at this and try to come up with some scientific explanation. This is a supernatural event. God performed a miracle. But why did God do it this way? Well, Moses may not have seen it or understood it at the time, but I certainly believe that God did it this way in part because this is a picture of what's going to happen later on, and it's a picture of what Jesus will one day do for us on the cross. You see, when Moses threw that tree in the water, it's as if all of the bitterness that was in the water was absorbed into the tree. And it's as if all the sweetness that was in the tree was absorbed into the water. And as a result, 
the actual composition of the water was miraculously changed in an instant. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.24 says. Peter may have had this story in mind when he said this. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Notice Peter said that Jesus died on the tree. When Jesus died on the cross, like that tree, the sin of the world, the bitterness of sin, was absorbed by Jesus. And his righteousness, the sweetness of the righteousness of Christ, is absorbed by whosoever in this world believes upon him, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And once again, there's this miraculous change that takes place in which a man or woman becomes a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, this was all God's purpose for bringing Israel to Mara and testing Israel in this way. Remember, you're tempted to be bitter. There's a plan when God leads you. There's a purpose when God tests you. One more thing I want you to see in this passage. There's a lesson God is teaching you. There's a lesson God's teaching you. In the Word of God, there's never a miracle without a message. Whenever a miracle is performed, there is some lesson that God is teaching through it. And God is the master teacher. You know, most teachers, they teach first and then test later. But you know, God does the opposite. God tests us first, and then he uses that test to teach us certain things. So God tests Israel, and then he uses this test at Marah to teach Israel what does he teach them? Go back to verse 25. It says, There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, verse 26, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. Now let me pause right there. What was God teaching Israel through this? There are several things and three lessons in particular that I believe that we can identify right here in the text. For example, there's a lesson about God's covenant. There's a lesson about God's covenant. God had not yet given to Moses the law, but he's going to soon. Very soon, Moses is going to go to Mount Sinai. God's going to give him the Ten Commandments. God's going to give to Israel numerous laws, especially for that nation and that time. But I want you to notice what God did not say here. God did not say, do these things and I will save you. God's already saved them. He's already brought them out of Egypt. That is no longer in question. God did not say, do these things and I will save you. He said, do this and I will protect you. I will bless you. If you heed God's voice and do what is right and listen to his commands and keep, notice this, all his statutes, you will not experience the plagues the Egyptians experienced. Now, we read that, and of course, we 
know the rest of the story because we can read further. We know that Israel did not normally heed. They did not do right. They did not always listen. They certainly did not keep all of the statutes. And therefore, they would need and we need someone to save us from the bitterness of our sin and rebellion. They need and we need someone to heal us in the whole sense of the word. Well, that leads to a second lesson here. God's teaching them a lesson uh, about his covenant, but also a lesson about his character. Because notice at the end of verse 26, it says, For I am the Lord who heals you. God used this crisis at Mara in order to teach Israel a new name for himself. Now, God, at this point in their history, had already identified himself by numerous names, but this is the first time in Scripture that this particular name appears. God refers to himself as Jehovah Rapha, meaning the God who heals. And that word in the Hebrew, Rapha, is used many times to refer to physical healing, but it's also used to refer to so much more. It's refer, it refers to spiritual healing. We see this in Psalm 103, verse 3. He's the God who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. Jehovah Rapha means there's no sin. God's not willing to forgive, no hurt. God is not able to heal and remember the context here. The context is God just performed this miracle and then he gives them this name, the Lord who heals, so that they would know what God did to that water, God can do for you. The same God who can make bitter waters sweet can make a bitter life sweet. He can make a bitter marriage or home sweet. He can make a bitter job or situation sweet. He can make a bitter heart sweet. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And God intentionally brought them to Mara, the place of bitterness, so they would learn that particular lesson. Now, there's a lesson here about God's covenant, about God's character. There's also a lesson about God's provision. I want you to notice the end of verse 27. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Camping by the waters. That sounds like my idea of a good time. I don't know about you. <laughs> now, this, this is an interesting ending to this story. God brought them to this place called Elim, and we're specifically told there were 12 wells and 70 palm trees. I don't believe there are any insignificant details in the Bible. I believe that when the Bible tells us something like this, we may not always understand it. But I believe if it's there, it's there for a reason. And I just don't believe that it's insignificant that the Bible specifically tells us at the end of the story, God led them to the place where there were 12 wells and 70 palm trees. 
Now, what could that mean? Well, it could be that there were 12 wells at Elim, and there were 12 tribes of Israel. It could be that there were 70 palm trees at Elim, and there were 70 elders of Israel. I don't know about you. I just don't think that's an accident. I believe God brought them there and that we're specifically told that there were 12 wells for 12 tribes and 70 palms for 70 elders, a well for every tribe, a palm for every elder, that God was saying to them, I am all you need. I'm everything that you need, and it's still true for us today. Remember what Jesus said in John 7, 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. At the beginning of our story, the people were thirsty. And all around us, there are people who are deeply, spiritually thirsty. And Jesus says to them, maybe he's saying to some of you this morning, he's saying, come to me. Believe in me. Follow me. Receive me. And he'll give you living waters, the water of life. He'll take the bitterness of sin and he'll turn it into the blessing of salvation. He'll take the bitterness of a place called hell and replace it with a blessing of a place called heaven. He'll take the bitterness of guilt and he will turn it into the blessing of salvation and forgiveness if you will but ask him today. Would you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who heals. And you heal us many times physically. And for that, we are grateful. But we thank you, God, that you don't stop there. We thank you that you heal the whole person. We thank you you are the God who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. And Father, we pray this morning for that man or woman who perhaps is here today and that's exactly what they need to experience. Father, I pray that this would be that day that they would come to Jesus, the source of living waters, that they would come humbly acknowledging that we've broken your law. We have not listened to you. We've not done what's right. We've not kept all your statutes like verse 26 says. But Jesus did. He came from heaven to earth and he did all of that perfectly every time on our behalf so that when he went to the cross, he who knew no sin would become sin, that we who believe would become his righteousness. So Father, I pray for that man or woman here today who, who needs to come and and place their faith in Christ, the one who died for us and rose again, confessing him, acknowledging him as Lord of all. God, how I pray this morning that they would take that step, that this would be their day of salvation. And Father, I want to take a moment and pray as well for every man and woman here who maybe is struggling with bitterness. We know that Christians are not immune to this. So I pray, God, where there's any root of bitterness, that you would rip it out. 
that you'd help us to identify it and confess it and repent of it and surrender that to you and that you would take whatever bitterness is there and turn it into and replace it with a blessing. We believe you can do that. We ask you to do that in our lives today and show us, we pray, in these moments what you would have us to do, what our response should be. We pray in Jesus' name. With God's people still praying, let me just ask before I close, maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, be praying for me because we talked about bitterness today and honestly, that's me. There's bitterness there because of life, because of something that happened, because of critics, because of what somebody did to me at some time or place. And there's bitterness there. And I'm not going to point out to you or embarrass you or call you out or anything like that. But just by lifting up a hand, you'd say, Pastor, that's me. That's where I'm at. Pray for me that roots of bitterness would not be allowed to, to grow in my hearts, that God would just remove those. Any others? Just, Pastor, pray for me this morning. And that is going to be my prayer as I go into this week and as I think about this message. Anybody here today that would say, Pastor, I need to take that step of receiving Christ as the Lord of my life. I need to be, as Jesus called it, born again. Anybody that would say, Pastor, that's me, by raising a hand, pray for me. I need to come to Christ, the, the source of living waters, so that that bitterness of sin would be replaced with the blessing of salvation. And you're willing to take that step this morning and say, I believe in him, that he died for me, that he rose again, and I'm going to follow him. I'm making that commitment this morning. Anybody that would say, that's me, that's the step I need to take, or that's the step I am taking this morning? And those of you also who are watching online, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to participate. So please, if you haven't done so, uh, either send us an email or you can, uh, that, there's that number Pastor Joe shared with you at the very beginning of the service. But if you send a text message to that number, 786-600-2829, we will see that and we'll be able to respond to you and, um, and, and let us know that step of faith that you are taking today or if you would just like more information about what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a follower of Christ or if you have a prayer request. So would you please take a moment uh, and do that. Uh, those of you in this room, of course, there are those cards beneath the pews. You can take one of those, fill it out, and then place it in one of these boxes at the front as well. And uh, we just want to know what God's doing in your life and how we can help you to know him and grow closer to him.